0: You may be seated. It is my prayer that you uh, recognize how special these last minutes have been. I've had the privilege of worshiping all over the United States and all sorts of different contexts and all sorts of different denominations, and. As a follower of Christ, I always look for, out of worship, am I brought into the presence of God? Is what is being presented, um, honoring to the Lord, am I being encouraged? And and this morning, uh, I was incredibly encouraged. So I just want to just reflect that back to you. Sometimes when we experience things week in and week out, we start losing the specialness of what we actually get to experience. But uh, it was a huge refreshing for me to To be able to experience worship with you all and to be led by this incredible uh, gifted group, not musically, but I could really tell that they were engaging with the things that they were sharing with us about who God is and trying to bring us into his presence. I know that um, there's just a lot of hurt here. I don't know all about it, um, but I know that there's a ton of hurt here. And it's been my privilege to be praying for you over these last couple of weeks when I was asked if I would fill in this Sunday. Uh, it, it does normally happen this way, but within 30 seconds, the Lord very specifically said, hey, this is what I want you to share with this congregation. So I really had no context, no you know, idea preconceived. You know, I'm not here to share something from me. I really want to share something from God that he wants you to hear and even in the lyrics of the songs, you know, I'm just I'm growing more and more and more humbled and more and more burdened because I could tell that um, the message is is not my message, but it's from the Lord. And so I'm going to ask that you forgive all the human parts of the things that I'm going to be able to share with you. I'm a human, and uh, those that have been under my teaching for decades uh, will tell you that I'm a human, and. Uh, But that you will hear that God really has a message for you here today, that you've gathered here today, and he wants you to walk away knowing that he has spoke to you in your heart today. I'm Robert Franklin. My lovely wife, Michelle, uh, was sitting next to me, and I had the privilege of serving Main Street Church down 27 uh, for 18 years and been a pastor before then, and I've transitioned out. It was a planned transition. Uh, very few people understand it, and they they would say, "Oh, you're retired now." No, I'm. I have a job. I'm still working. Uh, I'm not that old, and I'm. And Main Street took care of me well, but they did not make me independently wealthy. So, you know, I, I still have an income that's required. Um, but it was always the plan that when I would get to this stage in my life, that I would step down from senior leadership, hopefully move more into a teaching and mentoring role uh, as my continued service to our King. Um, but engage once again in the culture at large, and that's what I'm doing right now. I have the privilege of sharing Jesus with people in the workplace, just like most of you do. And so I get to do that. It's the favorite part of my job. I work for a company uh, that does trucking and warehousing and logistics. And if you've never been around that group of people, uh, they're they're very um, rough around the edges and sometimes in the core. Uh, but the really cool thing about hanging out with people that are rough around the edges and sometimes rough to the core is they will say things to you that will make you blush, but if you turn around and sit, talk to them about Jesus, they're cool with it. And so it's really been awesome to be in that context and to be able to share my faith in, in an environment that uh, is very much accepting of it, even though it's also very, it's full of pornography and foul language and, and just many of the things that we would consider to be bad, but it's a huge, huge opportunity for sharing the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And so that's just a little bit about me. I love to teach God's word and been doing it for many, many decades. Uh, Long before I was a pastor, just had a passion for looking up and and understanding and then sharing whatever I learned. And so that's what I'm going to do with you today. I, I am an interactive guy, and so I will break this wall here. So I'm just warning you about some things. Uh, to, so don't, when I, when I get off of this place, don't, don't freak out. So I've had some places I've been, it was like, oh my gosh, what is he doing? And, uh, and I love it when people talk back. So, uh, if something hits you uh, and you respond, uh, that's actually, I'm like, praise God for, for that. All right. When I was a teenager, I got my driver's license where I grew up. You started at age 15 and the day of your 16th birthday you could be eligible to be a terror on the road. And so um, in my 1968 uh, Volkswagen Beetle, I got my license. And so I, I was licensed to drive. And then, of course, when you're licensed to drive, you get to do fun stuff like go to parties. And I myself and my very best friend went to a party. And uh, our girlfriends were there. And I was still young enough that, I don't know if this ever happens anymore, but I was still young enough that the guys were more interested in the girls. Now, I had a girlfriend, and it was nice to have a girlfriend, but when we got to the party, the guys kind of got into a guy's group, and the girls got into a girl's group, and we did our own thing because it was a lot more fun that way, less pressure, that kind of thing. And I'll never forget this, this circumstance. I mean, it, it really changed my life in so many ways. I was hanging out with the guys and my me and my best friend, Michael, we were uh, kind of got separated from the group. We were just hanging out, doing what best friends do, and, you know, talking about nothing in particular, and just enjoying guy time at a party by ourselves, no parents. And uh, our girlfriends come bounding up. Now, I was smart enough to know that there was something going on when they come bounding up, the two of them, his girlfriend, and my girlfriend, they, they bound up. And so my my defenses were up. Um, He was in full defensive mode, but my defenses were up. And so they they bounced up, and they made some chit-chat, and then they both looked us straight in the face, and to each one of us, his girlfriend talked to him, and my girlfriend talked to me. She said, you know, I love you. Now, Michael, my, my best friend, he said nothing. I defenses up but not quite up high enough said well you know I love you too and I could tell out of the sight I can see him in my periphery vision he immediately became angry and so I'm like I just said something wrong and so um, they chit-chatted for just a few minutes and then disappeared so this was something that they had gotten together that they were going to do they're going to see what happened and my, my friend, Michael, as soon as they left, he lit into me. I mean, he was angry. What in the world did you do? I just told my girlfriend I left. He said, what were you thinking? He says, you're obligated now. There's no way out of that. You know, when you tell a girl that you love her, there's all sorts of things just best to keep your mouth shut. I mean, he just went on and on and on and read me the riot act about telling my girlfriend that I loved her and how that was the exact wrong thing to do. And if I didn't mean it, then, I mean, he just, he lit me up. And so now I'm, I'm thinking like, I'm a Christian. She's a Christian. I'm supposed to love her, but I understand what he's saying, that this is obligatory and all this kind of thing. And you know, do I really love her? And, and so now I'm getting confused. What seemed to be like a really easy thing to say, you know, I love you, I love you too. Now it's becoming this very complex thing that there's no way out. And so he's in freedom and now I'm obligated. I'm like, what am I going to do? So now I'm fearful and, you know, and, and, you know he walks away. He's so disgusted with me. I mean, that ruined the rest of the night. He was just so angry. I remember this to this day because in so much of his tirade, there was, there was real truth. We tend to say things and not really really mean them. Now, on one level, I really did love the young lady. I mean, we, we had a, a decent relationship. Uh, she didn't love me. She didn't mean what she said. That became very quickly evident just a few months later. Um, but I was committed to honoring Christ in our relationship. I mean, there was just a lot of things that were going well. But as far as, did I want to marry her? No. In fact, she's not the one I married, so I'm glad that God let Michael rip me up one side and down the other, uh, because there was far greater gift that God wanted to give to me um, in a relationship, and I just need to be patient and, and wait for that. And so next time I said I love you, it really meant it, and so uh, that's 30 years of marriage you know, just passed, so uh, that's something that we're, we're really celebrating but that, that obligation to love is like, man, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. And so we, in our culture right now, love to be connected, but we don't really love to be honest with each other. And so it's, it's tough for us to really come. Now, I've known Chris for a long time. Now, I can tell Chris, Chris, I love you. And you know I love you, don't you? I've prayed for Chris. I've cried with Chris. I've cried for Chris. I've celebrated with Chris. He's got a grandkid coming up here pretty soon, right? Yeah. So um, I love my grandkids. People are saying, man, grandkids are the best. They're so great. And I was like, okay, whatever. But uh, now we have several. And uh, they're great. I-, I-, I love having grandkids. And so can you really come up to somebody who, just for the sake of Christ, come up and say, I love you and really mean it? Can you do that? Is it appropriate? The way we live says, no, it is not appropriate. We fall into the Michael category to where if we say, I love you, sorry, Facebook people. Um, If we say, I love you, then we're obligated. And, you know, there's going to be these things that we got to do and, and all of this responsibility that we've got to have. And what if they're not nice to us and all of these things, and it's just best not to do it at all or to say it and not mean it. This passage is the passage that God gave to me, like I said, almost immediately. And so I want to share it with you. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up. Find Matthew, the 24th chapter. I'm going to read just one verse. For those of you who've been in church for any period of time, particularly if you're in church in the 70s, you will recognize this entire passage if you have been... Introduced to Christ in the 90s, or maybe in this millennium, probably not a passage that you're familiar with, Um, but we're we're not going to break down the whole passage, but I'm going to share with you one verse. Matthew, the 24th chapter, 12th verse. And because lawlessness... Will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of money will grow cold, or the love of many will grow cold. This is Jesus speaking about the end times, chapter 24, chapter 25. Jesus is speaking about what's going to happen at the end times. I believe that he's very specifically speaking to his disciples, preparing them for the impending destruction of Jerusalem. Everything that they know is going to be wiped out, literally. Their countrymen are going to be murdered by the tens of thousands. It's going to be this incredibly just tumultuous time that they're going to see before they die but he's also describing the things that are going to happen in waves throughout the history of the church and waves that we still need to anticipate experiencing in years to come. Jesus mentions that there are signs that they're to look for. There's going to be false teachers and false teaching. Have we seen that in the church? Yeah, we've seen that in the church. They saw it immediately. Much of Paul's writing is to can specifically counteract false teachers and false teaching within the church, much less without the church. So we've seen that. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. We have to deal with that? Yeah, we, we, we do, don't we? Uh, we've got a British oil tanker being held by the Iranians. I'm not sure what they're thinking but uh, they, they captured one, and they, they were they, this is the second one they've gone after. So there's going to be a war with Iran. We're not going to be in wars with Iran. We've got lots of wars going on all over the world simultaneously right now, so many that the news cycle just doesn't even keep track of them anymore. There's going to be famines and earthquakes. Anybody been keeping up with the news about what's going on on the West Coast? I used to live on the West Coast. And so when I hear about earthquakes on the West Coast, it brings back a lot of memories. I remember um, one of the major, one of the biggest earthquakes in the Los Angeles area I was there for. And I just got off of work. It happened early in the morning. And I I was working nights, going to school full-time during the day. And I was walking home through uh, this parking lot, huge parking lot. And I'm just doing this like so. And I'm so tired I don't even recognize it. The earth was waving, and it it was literally moving me one way or the other. I felt like I was drunk. I've never been drunk, but I I felt like that's what they say that, you know, this happened, it's like, golly, this, so I was exhausted. I went home uh, to the dorm. Crashed on the bed, and about 10 minutes later after I'd gotten to, to sleep, you know, that's how tired it was. Somebody banged on there, got to get out of the building, got to get out of the building, it has to be declared safe, blah, blah, blah. You know, because we've had this massive earthquake. It knocked freeways down and all those kinds of things. But uh, we've um, seen earthquakes in California, middle California, um, Oregon, outside of uh, Puget Sound, it's all the way up the coast. Thing. So these are things that we're used to hearing, and these are things that are the signs of the time. There's also violent persecution. Many people, the voice of the martyrs, say that as a percentage or as, as a uh, just in sheer numbers, there's more Christians in this world dying every day than at any other point in history. We just don't see it. You know, we're, we're persecuted in this country just by being simply told to be quiet. You go in your little buildings and you do your little stuff and you keep it to yourself and it's going to be all okay so long as you don't take whatever it is that you do in there and infuse it in, the, in any other part of your life. And many Christians, in fact, I would venture to say that most Christians in the United States have accepted that as the fact. You know, I can't go tell Jesus to somebody who sits in a truck 14 hours a day and pulls freight. I can't go tell Jesus to somebody who is in my work, about my relationship with Jesus, with somebody who's in my workplace, can't do that. And in some workplaces, that's strictly forbidden. I understand, but there's always opportunity to share Christ. But in lots of other places in the world, in fact, several places I've had the privilege of being, the mere fact of surrendering your life to Jesus Christ will cost you your family, will cost you inheritance, will cost you your place to live, will cost you your job, and in some cases, cost you your life. And so this violent persecution, Jesus warns his followers about. So, Lawlessness is increased and love grows cold. And so how is this dynamic working out in reality? I just want to focus in on the first part of this passage, this first part of this verse, and tell you the dynamic, which you will recognize. And then I want to present to you a solution of how we can, as the church, as this congregation, fight against it. What Jesus is saying is, if my liberty exceeds the law, love grows cold. If my liberty exceeds the law, love grows cold. Have you ever used the term white lie? Don't nod, just be mannequin people, you know, right? So we as followers of Christ, and really culturally, have this value called truth. But sometimes this truth is really inconvenient, isn't it? And so we will mend the truth or bend the truth or obfuscate the truth or just flat out ignore it to make life a little bit easier on ourselves. And if we feel guilty a little bit about it, we call it a white lie. You you follow me? All right, so we, we call it a white lie. So when we do that, our liberty exceeds the law. The law says we need to be honest with each other. We need to be truthful with each other. But when we exceed it, my ability to tell you something that isn't the truth goes over, then love grows cold. Because that relationship with that person that's hearing the thing that isn't true is broken on two levels. That trust is broken coming, even if they don't know, they accept the white lie. Because they've oftentimes white lied you back, um, but you know they've accepted it and you've given it, and so now there's a brokenness in relationship, and so love becomes more and more and more distant, and I can give you. 30 minutes of solid illustrations of this principle. I just want to give you a a simple one. I'm hoping that you're with me enough that you can start thinking about the other ways that this happened. But when my interests, my ability to be the boss of my own life, be the God of my own destiny exceeds the law. In other words, lawlessness is abounding. Then the result is love grows cold, Jesus says in John 13 the following words to his followers. He says, A new commandment I give to you that you love who? Do you know this one? One another. I know it's kind of hard to say, and it? it's kind of like what Michael said. It's like, what are you doing? You know, I don't want to love another. I want to love the people I want to love. And believe me, the disciples were thinking that very same thought. They were looking around at each other and saying, Do you know what we're hanging out together? But I really don't like this guy. Peter is a big mouth. John is a suck-up. James's brother, I mean, who does he think he is? Thaddeus, who knows it? Who knows? I mean, just they would go through all the things we would go through and when we look at each other and we can find fault in each other. Do not think the disciples were any different than you are. But Jesus says to them, and by extension, he says to us, This is a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. Yeah, you are to love one another. By this, listen folks, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It is not your buildings, it is not your doctrine, it is not your practice, not your music, not your good works, not any other thing that will distinguish you as followers of mine other than your passionate, my kind of love for each other. And we as the church have rejected this commandment almost 100% across the denominations, across this nation, and even tried to infect the rest of the world with it. You can be attracted to everything else as a human being, other than the passionate, sacrificial love of Christ Jesus that He commands us to have for each other. It's not an option. And it is the only thing that will allow the world to see that we're genuinely, truly different. Because you know what? I've traveled all over these United States. I've got, I think, what, five states left of the 50, something like that. I've been physically in all of those states. And airports don't count. I've got to get out of the airport. That's the way I've been. I've been privileged to go different places in the world. And I will tell you, there are all sorts of groups of people that are doing wonderful things together, who are getting along together and doing my magnificently good works, who are forming great relationships, that have all these things going on. And so, if you think that church is what makes us different, you're just telling yourself a white lie. What makes us different is the passion of the one who rescued us from sin and the power thereof and is redeeming us to be completely different because we love one another love is a command it is not an option it is command love is not how we fashion it but as he implemented it did you catch that Jesus didn't tell us just to love each other because we can do what I did to my girlfriend say I love you too and I meant it sort of mostly kind of i mean it was the nice thing to say and it won me a a brownie point michael's girlfriend didn't last very long we dated for several months more you know It, it, it won me some time but that kind of love that jesus says that we're supposed to have with each other isn't that kind of love is it how did jesus love his disciples stripped himself down to his underwear and washed their feet how did jesus love his disciples He told them when they were wrong and instructed them how to be right. How did Jesus love his disciples? He watched them run from him in his moment of greatest need and did not curse a one of them. How did Jesus love his disciples? He took their beating upon his own body. Stroke after stroke, punch after punch, spit after spit. How did Jesus love his disciples? He walked all the way up to Calvary. That song that we sang, tore me up and took my sin and your sin and buried it so that we could be alive with him again. That's the kind of love that is in us if we are in Christ. And we forgot it, folks. We forgot. That's the kind of love. That kind of love is, overcomes hurts. That kind of love overcomes disappointments. That kind of love overcomes abandonments. That kind of love overcomes everything because it already has. Do you remember that? It's already done it here on earth, not in heaven where God is and everything's hunky dory. Here, where it's dusty and dirty, and there's prostitutes and there's sinners, and there's people who will say, I will give my life for you. And then, not even 12 hours, I don't know him. I really don't know him. Hell no, I don't know him. Love is our proof of ownership. Your membership in a congregation is not your proof of ownership. Your familial connection is not your proof of ownership. There's nothing other than the love of Christ in you and working through you. Working through you does that proof of ownership. It's not a personal experience. I hear this all the time. It's kind of cool because now, you know, you want to kill a conversation. Tell somebody you're a pastor. Try it out sometime. I'm serious. When people say what do you do? You say I'm a pastor and it's like, "Oh." I mean, you could be having this great conversation with somebody that you're really interested in. And when they find out what you do, just try it sometime. You say, "I'm just kidding. This guy asked me to do this and I'm just I want to see what happens." You know, when when we when we work in an environment that says you know, it isn't my personal experience that's the most important. It's the work of Christ within me that is that proof. Then what we do, what we do becomes secondary. Who we are is everything. It's not this organizational membership, and it's not the status before humans. We just love to respect people that have got some sort of something important about them, don't we? Where I'm at right now, if you drive a million miles and you don't bash into anybody, that's really important. Serious. I mean, that's a huge milestone. And there's a lot of guys and women who've done it. They've driven a million miles in a big rig truck and not smashed into anybody or anything for a million miles. Some of you think, I can't even think about driving a million miles. They do it. They do it. And they don't smash anybody. And people like are, oh, it's like, wow. I met a three million mile guy. I mean, that was impressive. I'm impressed. But that's not what makes us different in Christ. Even this commandment, Leviticus 19:18, says this. Back when Moses is given the law to God's people, it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as who? So I'm the Lord. So Jesus said this love thing is a new commandment, but God said to his people thousands or a little over a thousand years before. You're to love your neighbors yourself. So, what's new about it? I hope you already know, but I'm going to tell you just in case you fell asleep somewhere along the way. What's new about it is that we're loving people like Jesus loved us and in no other way. So, you can love your neighbors yourself without Christ, it can be done. But if you really want to reflect who God is in this world today, you love people. Particularly your brothers and sisters in Christ, the way Jesus loves you. That's what's new about it. And just as a little honesty aside, and for those that have been at Main Street for a couple decades, they're really used to this, but I'm going to just really be very transparent with you. I don't like that part. I'd much rather love you the way I like to love you than love you the way Jesus does. Because if I'm loving you the way Jesus does, then I'm going to inevitably do something that I don't want to do. Because somebody is going to betray me. And that's happened many, 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 many times. It's one of the privileges of being a pastor is you get betrayed a lot. You know, people go, oh, yeah, pastor, da, da, da. And they'll be all smiley at you and then turn around and blow you up. And, you you know, I'm a person. I'm a human being. What do I want to do? I got a gun, too. A big one. And I happen to know lots of secrets about you, too. But that's not Christ, is it? No. It is not Christ. It is not Christ in me. And so whenever I get that gun, I was like, what is this doing here? i got to go put it away. gun it, you know. I really want to use it. But it's not just the refraining from using it. It's actually proactively doing what Jesus did with that one who even denied knowing him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Here's your mission. Go for it. You are restored. You are forgiven. You are empowered. And folks, that is Christ alone. And having had to do that many, many times, I can tell you it's incredibly difficult. In me. But it's incredibly natural in Christ. So, what are some obstacles to this kind of loving? Well, there's personal preferences and personal agenda, right? I don't like it when you talk to me like that. I don't like how you dress. I don't like how you smell. I don't like how you walk. I had, this, I had this one many, many years ago. This woman came to me, and she said, um, I can't stand anymore. I'm going to divorce my husband. I'm like, okay. I mean, that, that was the conversation leader. Okay. I said, well, tell me about it. She says, he has this thing that absolutely drives me nuts. I was like, most men do something that drives their wives nuts. So, okay. Oh, and so my mind's spinning. What is this going to be? I said, well, well, what is it that's, that's really causing this problem? She says, he does this and he comes and like this all the time and it absolutely drives me mad. I didn't know what else to say. I said, you're joking me, right? She said, no, I'm serious. I cannot stand it, not another day. That's a personal preference. And uh, yes, they did get divorced, but not for the pocket thing. Um, there was other things that were going on. I knew that there was. But a conversation between two adults that leads off that way, that just tells you how powerful those preferences are. And it did drive her nuts. And it was goofy. You know, but everybody else didn't want too bothered by it, except for her. How about my agendas, the things that I want, you know? Every organization, church and otherwise, and I remind remind people about this all the time when they start bashing on the church and say, you know, how's your bowling league? You know, how's your Elks Club? How's your Masons gathering? All this kind of things. You know, every if you get a bunch of people together, you're going to get a bunch of agendas together and they're going to want it to be their way. Period. It's just part of being human. But part of being a follower of Christ is you lay those things down and you find out what his agenda is. There's legitimate hurts. We can hurt each other. I mean, really, really hurt each other. Sometimes we do it on purpose, and sometimes we do it by complete accident. I can tell you over the past three decades, I've had to go ask forgiveness for from people so many times because I've said or done something unintentionally that was very hurtful. Now, if I'd thought about it, I could have got around it by not doing it, but I didn't think about it, so I caused hurt and so that come back and I have to go and say I'm really sorry about this you know uh, and I, I don't I, I think when you ask forgiveness for people you should never like put a proviso on it you know I didn't mean it you know, it's just like I'm really sorry about it. I know this hurts you will you forgive me and then if they ask you well why did you do that and it's like well, I didn't really mean to do that you can give the proviso afterwards but you should always lead with just asking forgiveness and not trying to wrap your forgiveness with an excuse why you did that you know, but again, transparency, there's been a couple times it's like, all right, it's on. You got me, I'm going to get you right back. Sometimes there's perceived hurts. This, a person has been in a relationship with hundreds, even thousands of people. I can tell you there's so many times that um, people have been hurt by things that were all in their head. I had this one couple, really nice couple, got to go to their house, really thought the world of them. Um, they broke off relationship, wouldn't even talk to me anymore. And so uh, somebody finally came and said, you know, why they weren't talking to me anymore. I said, so, OK, well, what's up? Well, um, they, they, they believe that uh, you were upset with how much money they were giving the church. I have no idea how much money they were giving the church, one way or the other. That's not the way we worked. No clue. And so they had this hurt that their perception was, which was probably by their own guilt. I don't even know, because they would never talk to me about it. It was like we were friends one week, and the next week, It's like, wow. So sometimes people's hurts are in their own heads. And the other thing I think that we really need to be aware of in this world, particularly in this world, is evil's hatred of good there is a force in this world called evil and it is personified by satan we don't like any of that stuff you know a mass murderer comes in and does carnage what's the first thing our culture wants to to know why And so they look into the background. Was he beat as a child? You know, did he have a bad relationship? Or, you know, what was it that caused this person to behave in such an evil way? There's got to be some reason for it. But you want, with all the stuff that we try to find out, one of the things that's never offered is that folks are just evil And evil hates good, and where evil can pop out and do its thing, it will do it. And sometimes it's a mass murder, and sometimes it's just crushing somebody's spirit. Sometimes it's abuse in a relationship, and sometimes it's destruction of a relationship. Evil loves destruction. And it's in this world, and it's powerful. But it has been overcome in Christ Jesus. Amen? Most of you sort of believe it. And I understand, I'm not picking on you. Because we see evil all the time, but what we don't see is love conquering evil all the time. And I believe that there's two reasons for that. One is we've not developed eyesight to see it. Two is that we're not personally practicing it. Because when you can come up to somebody who has done you harm and genuinely from the depth of your heart, because that's where Jesus is controlling you, say, I love you and I will sacrifice for you and I will do the things to maintain relationship with you that are in my ability to do. And even if you reject me, think about this, folks, Jesus died to pay for the sin of every person on this planet. Billions and billions of people are saying, not good enough, not interested, Who has a better reason to say, forget you all, I'm done, than God? Does he do that? No. The way Jesus loves us is he says, I still love you. I'm still going to offer that to you. I'm still going to provide a way for you to be revolutionized from the inside out to spend eternity with me, to experience life in all of its abundance while you're here. These are the things I want to give to you, and I will make that happen, even though you're a dirty filthy wretch and you don't deserve it that's the kind of love that's in us who are in christ so what's the solution i believe it's simply this that we need to recognize and take advantage of the opportunities that god has given us to love it's the only way out michael thought that love was a constraining thing And he was right to a point. There was a commitment that I should have been ready to make that I in no ways was ready to make. But that doesn't negate my obligation to love in a way that is incredible because of Christ in me. And for us as his people, for you as this congregation, the only way out is not to get the next best whatever. Next best program, next best pastor, next best whatever. The only way out, the only way out is love. And I'm not talking about love, 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 I'm talking about gritty, difficult, Jesus kind of love. The kind of love that when you do it, you step back and say, What was that all about? Because you know it ain't you, it's Jesus working through you. What kind of opportunities do we have? First of all, we invest in the life of each other. Michelle and I are building the house. I love the background with the boards because I'm actually milling a lot of the wood that I'm using for the house. I I just love that stuff. Man, this is so cool. And so um, I'm doing it myself, and so it's been really long-term, to say the least. And my wife said, "Um, do you want to have a happy life? And and I said, oh, yes, absolutely. She says, then we will be finished with this house by Christmas this year. And I said, okay, Lord. (laughs) We're going to have to build it up some here. So... I got a bunch of friends together uh, who belonged to Jesus last Saturday, and um, they put the walls up on my house and in the morning from 8 to noon. And my wife, who went from dubious, if you're ever going to get this thing done, now is like, wow, this like, looks a house. And she's like, can we put this furniture here and that kind of thing? It's like, baby, let me get the outside done here first. Um, but you know, all this stuff is happening, and, and it was so awesome. But you know what? That wasn't the best part of the day. At 12:15, we all gathered t- together and we had a meal. And man, my heart just was throbbing. Because people were laughing, and I mean, we we're all sweaty and nasty. It was disgusting. It was hot, and not as bad as it was yesterday. But, you know, and they were, they were just, there's just this fellowship that happens because everybody there is loved by Jesus. And they came because of Michelle and me. didn't come for each other a lot of them didn't even know each other that well but because we were all together sharing a meal love was just abounding and that's what made my heart swell and that's what makes my heart swell today it's not that i had no walls and now i have walls my wife was dubious and now she's believing okay it's that i saw For 45 minutes, God's people doing exactly what God's people do. Love each other as they shared a meal together. All for the sake of love. We need to invest life in each other. We need to sacrifice to advance each other. I want you to ask yourself the question, when's the last time I laid out something that was precious to me so that I could advance somebody who belongs to Jesus Christ? When I worked hard, not to provide some program, but to really invest in somebody's life so that their life was advanced, that they were pushed forward in some way. There's lots of ways to do it. Sometimes it's as easy as a phone call or maybe a text or a card. Sometimes it's as difficult as spending four hours at somebody else's house building it for them. Sometimes far worse. One of my dearest friends went through a dark period of his life and, and he would wake up in the middle of the night having panic attacks at 2 a.m. And he'd call me. I'll never forget those calls. It's like they would normally start out with something like this at 2 a.m. in the morning. I can't breathe. And so I'd sit up at 2 a.m. in the morning with him. Not because of any other reason other than God did us together. And talk him through it and pray with him. And then follow up the next morning. We have these opportunities, folks. We just don't take, take advantage of them. One of the things that i found to be true in so many different contexts is moving in a missional obedience with each other. Saying, hey, here's this need, or here's this opportunity, or here's something that we are going to invest in, whether it's, Building something or providing something, or whatever, but we as a group are going to work hard to do this together. And everybody does different things and has different levels of ability, but I found that a congregation that does not have a passion to do things together is one that really struggles loving each other. And so we're going to have a time of invitation. Um, this always terrifies me. I'm just, again, to be honest with you. If you'd like for me to pray with you, I would be happy to do that. But I'm going to really encourage you to pray with each other. I don't know if I'll get invited back. I mean, you, you never know with these things. You know, It's like, golly, we're not having this dude back at all. Um, but regardless, I do want to challenge you to do what only you can do in Christ Jesus and that's to love each other. It's going to be uncomfortable because you might go and sit down next to somebody you had not talked to in a while and look them straight in the face and say, you know what? I love you. There might be some other stuff that God stirs up in your heart. You may need to ask them for forgiveness. What better place to seek and receive forgiveness from somebody that you've harmed in the church? You know, there's... So many different ways that God could use this time. And I'm not here to mark notches on my belt. Don't do that. If you're here this morning and this whole love sacrificial thing is new to you and and God's just stirred by the power of his Holy Spirit, you to begin a relationship following him, I'll be happy to give you next steps as far as that's concerned. It'll change your life. It'll cost you your life. It'll change your life. And I can tell you, after four decades of following that, it's coming up on five here, just a few years, it's been worth every step of the way. And I'd love for you to have that experience too. Father, I thank you for what you're going to do over the next few moments. Lord, I thank you for the, the patience of these people. as I've shared the word that you've shared with me and God, I'd ask that you would do something magnificent that only you can do. Um, Father, that there would not be any sort of an idea that I was anything more than just a tunnel through which your word came. Lord, that you change hearts because only you can do it. And God, that you would revitalize that, that passion that you place in each one of us when we receive your Holy Spirit. And God, that there would just be some crazy, stupid loving going on. In the moments, and the hours, and the days, and the weeks to come, so that people that know this congregation will be able to say, "You know, those people are nuts. They love each other with such abandon. Those people are crazy. They're always doing things to reflect their love for each other." God, let this be the heritage of this people moving forward, in Jesus' name. Amen.